Ghosts of Christmas Presents, a seasonal story, written by Tobias Sturt and read by John Millington. Chapter 16 The Nonsense Straw Everyone has one. Some of us have several. There are some of us, and here we shall not name names, for whom the nonsense of the nonsense drawer has spread out to become their whole existence. There is no invention wrought by mankind that has not tended, almost from the inspiration, to nonsense. Bronze was, with patience and pain, fossicked and forged from the rare and extraordinary metals of the earth, and almost immediately someone was making little model penises out of it, with bells attached that rang when somebody opened the door. Celluloid made the world artificial, replacing ivory, wood and horn, saving countless animals and revolutionising industry, and was straight away pressed into making exploding billiard balls. No sooner had the radioactive decay of certain atoms been theorised than factory workers were poisoning themselves, painting glow-in-the-dark numbers onto watch faces. The onward rush of mass production and consumption has resulted globally in absolute nonsense. Shelf-end bins of nonsense, price-slashed big sales of nonsense, malls of nonsense, stalls of nonsense, drawers of nonsense. It's probably in the kitchen next to the sink, stubs of chalk and loose drawing pins that stab you as you root around for batteries. Lanyards from unremarkable events that have taken advantage of the undisturbed dark to knot themselves into tangles that represent whole new schools of topology. Balls of blurry blue tack and craft scissors encrusted with shards of sellotape. The detritus of deliberate obsolescence. Cables for phones long discontinued. Plugs for devices long forgotten. Broken headphones and leaking pens. The drawer of nonsense. The particular drawer of nonsense now under our consideration is the bottom drawer of an antique writing desk stuck in between a bookcase and the sofa in the sitting room of Mr. Benedict Nail. Right now, Benedict Nail has his right foot under it because he is sprawled out, unconscious, clear across the middle of the sitting room floor. He is also, not entirely coincidentally, but much more minutely, currently scaling the edge of the drawer, hand over hand, up the wooden beading towards the top, where the drawer is standing slightly proud of the desk. The last bit of nonsense that Benedict threw into the drawer was a hand-carved figure of a witch that had been given to him by his upstairs neighbour by way of an apology after he complained about her playing Christmas music too loud. And he was going to have to find it again. This is never an easy task, given the tendency of everything in the nonsense drawer to become swiftly entangled in the twines of phone chargers. But it is going to be even harder now that he is barely an inch high and can only just remember his own name. He stands, finally, on the lip of the drawer and stares down through the narrow opening into the darkness below. He has a sudden memory of having seen once in some magazine an explorer rappelling down into a sinkhole in the jungle, down through a shaft of light filtering through the trees above into darkness, thickly canopied with its own private forest. Rising up to the edge of the drawer is a thick tangle of dark wires, but beneath this top layer all is shadow. Benedict Nail, much to his own surprise, does not stop to think again about what he is doing, but steps out into the nest of cables and begins to climb down.
It is perhaps a side effect of the law of entropy that inanimate objects tend towards the intransigent. It takes work to keep things neat and tidy. Left to their own devices, the devices create disorder. The headphone sockets call out irresistibly to the blue tack. The plastic rears up to where it can most effectively jam the drawer. The wires entwine the ribbon, entwine the lanyards, entwine the twine. Wherever there is something long and stringy, it will find something else, long and stringy, with which to knot. It is the ineluctable law of the nonsense drawer. The drawer, Benedict discovers as he climbs, has its own geography. The tangles of wire form clumps, thickly brambled hillocks, between which run steep-sided valleys with erratic blocks of dead batteries and Christmas cracker socket sets. He scrambles down the side of a wiry hill into a ditch that is headed in the right direction, across the drawer to the other side. He doesn't want to get too far from the slight chink of light he has descended through, not just because of the darkness and the depths of the drawer, but also because of what it might be that he's not seeing back there. But, as he clambers over blunt pencils and picks his way between drawing pens, the cleft he is following begins to turn. He passes under an overhang of headphone lead and finds his way blocked by the sheer wall of a train ticket. Behind him, the already dim glow of the street lamp through the sitting-room window begins to fade. The hills loom darkly over him. He finds himself wandering deeper into the drawer. But it is not entirely dark. His eyes are adapting to the shadow, probably, but there is also light coming from somewhere, a chancy, debatable light, like the flickering of will-o'-the-wisps over a desolate place. There, high up on a hill, that he can see down the end of the thin valley, a fire, right on the peak, like a beacon. Only, unlike a beacon, it makes him very much not want to go there. He climbs the slope next to him on all fours, over the ridges of USB connector cables, until he can find a place to stand on a plug, hauling himself upright on one of its prongs. There are other lights, other fires, dotted over the tops of hills, deep into the drawer, are these baleful lights, half-markers, half-warnings. It makes him want to stay off the ridges, and he scrambles back down into the dell. But down on the bottom of the drawer he is too quickly lost, as the little paths twist and turn and dead-end and double back. And all this time he hasn't heard or seen anyone. Except there, something moved down the end of that valley. Uh, hello, says Benedict Nail, and immediately regrets it. But whatever it is, small even for Benedict's much-reduced scale, stops for a moment and turns as if looking at him, and then it is gone. Hey! And Benedict involuntarily starts after it. One moment. Do you know where the witch is? The path goes in under an overhanging three-day pass for a conference Benedict attended for precisely one hour. It is solid shadow under the pass, but he could swear he saw the thing run in there. He follows, and discovers that on the other side of the pass the valley comes to an end in a forgotten tin of breath mints, and up against the box stands, at bay, the Scotty dog from a Monopoly game. It's all right says Benedict, advancing from under the conference pass. I won't hurt you. No, says a voice from behind him. But hurt you, he might. And Benedict turns to discover that the shadows under the pass are suddenly peopled. Out saunters, pen slung, 
lazily over his shoulder like a guard with a pike staff, the little silhouetted man of the Bic Biro logo, who stops, looks Benedict up and down and says, So, better not upset him, right? And Benedict realises he is trapped. You have been listening to The Ghosts of Christmas Presents, written by Tobias Sturt and read by John Meddington. The music is The Path of the Goblin King by Kevin MacLeod of filmmusic.io and our illustrations are by Jamie Lenman. You can find more of our stories at christmasstories.co.uk or wherever you found this podcast and we'd be grateful if you could rate and review us while you're there as well. If you're feeling really generous, we now have a Patreon at patreon.com slash christmasstories where a subscription will get you versions of this story without all these annoying credits and lots of other exclusive material. But all we really want you to do is to listen to the next instalment of the Ghosts of Christmas Presents. (laughs) 